Welcome to a bonus episode of Round Trip Death and part two of our conversation with Dr. Lottie. A few weeks ago on this podcast, I asked for some input about the future of the show, and I received a bunch of it. And part of what we were curious about is how much you want to know about things that are related to near-death experiences, in addition to the NDEs themselves. There are other things that seem a little bit out in the woo-woo, but do we want to be talking about those? And the consensus pretty much agreed with what Will and I were already thinking, which is that from time to time on one of our bonus episodes, we will get a little bit more off in the, quote, woo-woo, and talk about some other things that have some relation to NDEs. Today is one of those days. And we're going to hear about things like ancestral healing and medical mediumship. And we're also going to be talking about quantum theory and quantum entanglement and some things like that. And that might sound a little bit boring, the quantum stuff, but it's actually super interesting hearing about it from Dr. Lottie. So with that little bit of intro, let's get back to the interview. From the time that they pronounced me dead was uh, a good 45 minutes. They cut my clothes and then they paddled my heart my heart had stopped. And I could see people screaming and crying, but I didn't realize that was actually my physical body because I was somewhere else. The only thing that I could feel, if you could imagine, absolute love and peace. There wasn't anything else to be felt. I was greeted by people I had known in the past. I'm back home again incredibly safe and felt at home. Let's make a bit of a transition now. One of the things that I wanted to ask about before we get into some of the things that I found on your bio is, again, you just very briefly mentioned that for 12 years, watches didn't work. Tell me about some of those odd things that happened. We've heard, I've heard some of this from other people too, and I think they're hilarious. Go ahead. So my watch died. I put my watch on you know, back in the September of 92. And after wearing it for a few days, it died. And we didn't have cell phones back then. So I didn't never knew what time it was because my watch died. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, when I get better, I get a watch. Well, it literally took me nine months before I had the strength to take my kids, walk inside a store, buy a watch and leave. Because I was, you know, had so little blood because now I was going into the bone marrow suppression that I wasn't aware that was happening. So... I buy this new watch. I wear it for, you know, about five days and it stops. I said, wow, that was so much work to get that watch. <laughs> I can't believe I had to go back now, return it. So mustered up some more strength, you know, on a good day, we went back to the store and uh, returned the watch. I said, I don't know what's wrong, but it stopped. They were, wow, this is weird. We haven't gotten any other watches back, but go pick out a new one. So got a new watch, came home, wore it for five days and it stopped. Said, so, wow, again, like this is, you know, this has got to be some problem with a, you know, quality control and manufacturing. I mean, it's the same brand, brought the watch back and they were puzzled again. No, we haven't gotten any other watches back. And I said, all right, I'll get a different brand this time. Got a different brand watch, went home, wore it for five days, it stopped. So then I tell my friend what had happened and she just started laughing and she said, it's not the watches, honey, it's you. <laughs> I said, what do you mean it's me? So I said, all right, you know, return the watch and get another one. But that first year, it took an entire year for my watch to tick for one month. So after one year wearing that watch, my watch ticked for a month before it died. Mm. 
So by the time my daughter was three, three and a half, I had 16, 17 watches in my top bureau drawer. And I always got the watches with a second hand because it was the only way I would know if it was ticking. Because right. after lying in the drawer for a while, some of the watches would start ticking. So I would just rotate, hold the watches up. Oh, this one's working. I can wear this one. So I would wear that for like a few days. And then he would stop, put that one back in the drawer, get another one. And that's how it was. So they would eventually come back to life. <laughs> that is so funny. What do you make of that? Since you know quantum physics, does that have something to do with it? I think so. So it took me 12 years to have my watch tick for 12 months. So for every year, it, it like increased a month. So after two years, the, the watch ticked for two months. After three years, the watch ticked for three months. So it was a longer and longer. And after 12 years, it ticked almost to the day, 12 months. And at that point, I, I stopped wearing watches for a while. I said, that's it. I'm healed. That's when I got the message that I need to go to medical school. And it was 12 years. It was this big transition. My whole body all of a sudden uh, came back into functioning. But I think that, you know, what happens, there is something that's, we are energy, right? We are energy that's vibrating at a slower speed. And when you're out, outside your body in spirit form, you're at a higher frequency. We go back into this world, it's very heavy because everything vibrates at a slower speed. So when you have these experiences, you know, there's something that happens energetically. You know, we are, we are magnetic beings too, right? So we measure the heart rate, you know, we can put all these electrodes on your brain, on your heart to measure the electricity in our body. When when you go through these uh, major events and you're also sick, there's obviously something that happens to that. And when you think about when we're sick, there's something in your body that's not vibrating at the right frequency and it cr creates that disease. So when you're having all these you know, you're you're out of your body and then you come back to your body and then you're really sick. Things aren't going to be vibrating at the normal level. And I think that is what's, that's my opinion of what interferes with things. So when my daughter was one, I walked by the television and the television turned on. And I said, wow, you know, it's like you grandma looking around the room thinking, oh my gosh, this, why is that turning on all of a sudden? So I'm thinking, well, my kids, you know, was my oldest boy was just turning seven. My other son was four and a half. And my daughter was one. And I said, well, maybe they're playing a prank on me. Maybe the kids have the clicker. They were playing right outside with some other kids. Nope. The kids are on the other side of the courtyard uh, playing outside the neighbor's door. And I said, okay, probably it's a neighbor that's watching TV. And when they turned on their TV, they have the same TV we do. And some, they, maybe they aimed the clicker, it went through the window and it hit my TV and that's how it turned on. I went to eight neighbors' doors <laughs> all around me, rang their doorbell. Hey, are you home? Are you watching TV? No, I'm not watching TV. They probably thought I was crazy. This is like the atheist coming back out or definitely the scientist anyway. Right. I just couldn't accept, you know, those things. I was like, what's happening? So mm -hmm. I was like, okay, nobody's watching TV. That's just really weird. Some Some fluke some electrical discharge. I come in, walk by the television, turns back on. You know, I was like, okay, there's, so there's definitely something that happens, right? And, and now I know from listening to other people's stories, people get mad and the light bulb explodes and, you know, lights blink on the street when they're walking on the street lights and things like that. So there's definitely something that happens with, you know, the way our physical 
appearance are, right? Because we're just energy in the end. And the the way that frequency is, is interfering with the electrical grid or other, other things. A couple of funny ones that I've heard recently um, from people that I've interviewed. Uh, one woman was in a cell phone store buying a new smartphone and just holding it in her hand for a couple of minutes and it would die. And then they'd give her another one and it would die. And they'd give her another one and it would die. But maybe funnier than that is uh, a woman whose husband was really into video games. And if she got anywhere near, like within 10 feet of that TV or video game console, it would turn off and the power would shut down. You were the opposite. The power would go on. Right. But I had the same problem too. So that first year, you know, my son was six and my other boy was, you know, three and a half, four. And I said, all right, it's time you guys can watch a video now for a little bit. And because, you know, I needed to rest and take care of the baby. I could not turn on the VCR. It was back when we had the big v- uh, tapes, the big clunky ones. And I could not turn it on. So I would stand in the doorway and I would instruct my son, no, not that button. That one that's up on the corner left, the one that has an arrow, push that one and teach him like from a distance how to turn on the, and turn on the VCR. Because if I went over there, it wouldn't work. I could go over there, try and push, start it. Nope, not going to happen. And so he he learned with me standing almost in the next room, <laughs> guiding him. That's so funny. It Definitely there is something that, that happens. The vacuum cleaner turned on once. My son was five and I was helping him with, it, with a zipper on his jacket. And the vacuum is on the other side of the room and it turns on <laughs> by itself. And my five-year-old just says, mom, the vacuum just turned on by itself. And it was a brand new vacuum cleaner. We, st- actually, we still have that vacuum cleaner. I mean, it's literally 30 years old. I hope it was plugged in. It, <laughs> it was plugged in, but it started by itself. I mean, it was just these weird things that happened. And especially in the beginning, it was, it was you know, worse that first and second year. And then it was, you know, just the watches. But, you know, all those things you hear about the phone calls dropping and VCRs not turning on or off. Like, it's just that electrical interference. And there has to be some relationship between that and spiritual gifts that people often come back with. And I don't have a scientific study to prove that, what the relationship is or anything else, but it's pretty obvious, I think, for my non-scientific brain. Okay, let me go on and ask you something else. So you've studied really your nature path training. You were studying Western and Eastern medicine both. And you have this spirituality experience. So is that integrated with your medicine as well? Or do you stick with the textbook Eastern Western medicine? Right. So I work online with people now from all over the world as a medical medium or medical intuitive. To me, it's almost the same because I always work with the spirit world now. The spirit world is always there. And so, you know, people often fall through the cracks of they're either misdiagnosed. There's a lot of things we don't know, right? When you go to medical school, you think you're going to know everything when you come out. When you graduate, you realize how much medicine is an art, (laughs) not a science, because there's so many things that we don't know. And there's many times people get sick and they, the hospital or the doctor will run the tests. They all come back normal. They're experiencing things that we can't test them easily. We don't have any tests for it. And for some reason, those are typically the people that show up on my screen. So I always work with the spirit world. And sometimes people get on my screen and say, you know, I got all these allergies and I have 
uh, you know, this irritable bowel syndrome. And I said, no, the spirit world tells me you have endometriosis. So tell me about your periods. And they're like, oh yeah, they're terrible. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, there it is. So it doesn't matter what the person says on the screen because the spirit world is still going to tell me something. Uh, sometimes I will get a medical diagnosis. I'll just hear a medical diagnosis and say, hey, did anybody ever tell you that you might have this? And they say, I don't even know what that is. And then I'll say, okay, well, the symptoms that go along with this disease are these things because I have the medical training. And then they say, yeah, I have all those symptoms. And I say, yeah, the reason they're not catching it is because it's often misdiagnosed and you fall through the cracks because it's not something you can easily see on a test or... So this is known as medical mediumship, right? Right. Medical, yeah, medical medium or medical in, uh, medical intuitive. So how about the medical establishment? You know, you have some kind of state medical board mm -hmm. there in Arizona. Yeah. Do they hear about this? Do they give you a hard time because of it? Yeah, I, I, I can't work like that under my license, right? So you have to, if you work as a physician, you work under your license. Uh, you have to do everything that is according to your license, uh, run the tests. Uh, you have to chart everything and what you found, what those findings were. But I work spiritually with people through my website as a medical medium where they, you know, they know I'm not working as a doctor per se because now I'm tuning in spiritually uh, to what the spirit world is guiding me to. But I'm also using my medical knowledge to back up what the spirit world is telling me. So it's become this integrative, <laughs> integrative. And now I understand what the spirit world, you know, said from the beginning, you're, you know, you need this degree, but you're working spiritually with people and you're to bring messages uh, and healing to the people. And so that is about bringing messages. I would say is a lot of that is evidential mediumship reading where you're connecting with your loved ones in the spirit world. But also I work with uh, people's spirit guides. Sometimes people come to a fork in their life and they're thinking, I don't even know why I'm here. Like, what am I supposed to be doing? What is my incarnation? And so I have an, a session called uh, spirit messages from your spirit guides. And I tune into that person's spirit guide and I see a lot of my information. So I get a lot of images and that's how I read the spirit world. And I see the, the spirit guide and I quickly draw it. It takes like five or six minutes. I just make like a sketch of that spirit guide which then I send to the to the client afterwards. So it's kind of fun for them to see what I see on my end. But when I see their spirit guide, I also know something about them. I know who they are. I know what they're here to do in, in a different way because you kind of are a mirror of your spirit guide. It's almost like the spirit guide is part of you. It, they're so close to you that you can't almost not see it. But when I see the spirit guide, I also know something about them and why they're here and what they're here to do and what kind of person they are. And so it can help people figure out what what they're here to do. Sometimes it could just be, you know, like a message, you need to do this more or you're not taking care of yourself or whatever it is that is not going well. Okay. All right. What is ancestral healing? Yeah. And ancestral healing is, so it came about... I was doing mediumship reading. So I'm connecting with the spirit world, doing a connecting with grandma or grandpa or mom or dad. And I had a couple of readings in a row that were almost identical to the point you're thinking, what is this? Why am I getting the same reading with every client for several days in a row? And the message was always, you know, your grandmother is here. Now your grandmother had a very hard life. And she was physically abused by your grandfather. Do you understand this? Yes. I said, then your, I see three kids. One of them is your mom. 
and she married your dad, but he was also physically abusive. Your dad physically abused your mom, but he also physically abused you. Is that correct? Yes. And I had like four readings in a row like that. And I was like, what is this? Why do I keep seeing? Why is the same message coming? And I had already read the book by Mark Wolin, It Didn't Start With You. And I had tried to attend his seminar a couple of times, but I was in a residency. And whenever he, that seminar was held, I was alone in the clinic <laughs> covering for everybody else, all the other doctors. So I could never go. Well, now it's the pandemic and he's offering this class online. And so for a couple of months, me and other physicians and counselors around the world are studying ancestral healing with Mark Wallen. I learned the patterns of the ancestral healing and how things actually get passed down. So the traumatic events that were unresolved by your ancestors and swept under the carpet. So when you say, you know, why don't we ever talk about Uncle Billy? And your mom says, Shh, we don't talk about Uncle Billy. Now, something is up with Uncle Billy. He did something or there was some tr trauma there that got swept under the carpet. We don't talk about it. Those are the things that get passed down to the next generations. And I would say we all take a few of them. So it, maybe Uncle Billy did six things that were unresolved. You carry one. Your sister carries one. Your brother, your brother carries two. And some other sister carries two. So you divided them up between yourself. Oh, I'll take this one. And so those patterns of behaviors, fears, traumas, disease, not marrying the right person, uh, OCD, anxiety, it gets passed down to the next person in that, in that family, in that soul family. When you say passed down, is this actually genetic? So it's passed down uh, genetically because we know now from research that trauma is passed down on the genes. They've done studies on the Holocaust survivors. And we can see that it's passed down on the genes. We know it goes to the grandkids already. In a few years, we'll say great-grandkids, right? But those genes are, are transferred down because we make an epigenetic change in the what's going to express and how it's going to express. So if you had a grandpa that served in the war, and every time those sirens went off because their airplanes were coming in and were going to bomb, he, he thought, this is the day I'm going to die. And so he now changes his expression of his genetics to warn his future offsprings that when you hear the siren, you take cover. That's danger, right? So now it's not war anymore. And you're, he survives the war. He has kids. And then his kids have kids. So now you have a granddaughter. The granddaughter has a panic attack every time she hears a siren, like an ambulance, a fire, a police, any, any kind of siren. She has a panic attack. But... She has never had a traumatic experience herself. Why is it that she has a panic attack when she hears the sirens? That's because epigenetically it was passed down from grandpa, the danger. And there's research that have been done on that, uh, like epigenetic inheritance of odor fear conditioning uh, that was published back in uh, Nature Science back in 2013. And it was a study that was led by Brian Diaz. And they took mice and they exposed them to a cherry blossom smell. Every time the mice smelled the cherry blossom smell, they would get an electric shock. Well, of course, the mice learned to fear the cherry blossom smell. They're like, cherry blossom smell, take cover, we're going to get an electric shock. Then they took the sperm of that male mice, artificially inseminated the female mice, and her baby mice were fearful of the cherry blossom smell. They had never been in contact with the cherry blossom smell. They had never received an electric shock, but it was transferred down. 
And so we know this from humans too, and they've identified genes. I know the FKBP5 gene is one of the genes in the human that is transferred down. But, you know, as research goes on, I know more genes have been discovered already. But it's transferred down on the DNA, but also it's transferred down through quantum physics. So that grid that I saw during my near-death experience of how everything is connected to everything else, that is quantum entanglement. And so we are entangled with our ancestors through quantum entanglement. And if you go back to the Nobel Prize winners last year, there were three physicists that received the Nobel Prize in physics where they showed that if they take, they have a pair of atoms and another like pair A of atoms, pair B of atoms, they take one of the atoms from pair A and one of the atoms from pair B, they put them together. Now those two atoms have met. But the other two atoms in the pair that have not met are now entangled because two of the atoms met. And so whatever happens to atom A is going to affect atom B and it's going to affect the ones that never even met because of the entanglement, right? So we have the entanglement through time and space that is instantaneous. And that is, you know, faster than the speed of light. That is the spooky action at a distance that Einstein talked about. But we are entangled with all the people that you come in contact with, all the animals, all the plants, the trees, the earth, the people in the spirit world, you are entangled with that, but you also carry it on your genes if there is trauma from your ancestors. My poor little brain is sort of exploding right now. Tell me if I'm summarizing this correctly in the simplest terms I can use. Trauma that one of our ancestors had may be passed down to us. Trauma we have may be passed down to children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, et cetera. That's a scientifically proved fact now. Yes. Right? Yep. Okay. So then the question is, how do we heal that? Besides calling you, how, <laughs> what else can we do to heal those things? Because we don't even know that they're there. Yeah, you work, through your, you work through your issues, right? You have to dig. You know, what is it that, you know, what, what are your fears? Where is that coming from? So, you know, I do... I teach a lot of classes too uh, on ancestral healing and you can also work with me individually. But when people get sick, when people have fears, when people have struggles, you know, where's that coming from? And sometimes we don't see it. You know, I, I work with physicians, counselors, psychotherapists um, that come to me and, and then I point out to them what the problem is and they kind of laugh and they say, wow, it's so interesting. I do this for other people all day long, but I couldn't see it for myself. And I think it's it's very common because we are so, we are in the forest. We are so deep in the forest, we can't even see the trees. It's just, we're, we're tied into that, our own experiences emotionally. And it's difficult to take that bird's eye view of your own family, your own experiences. Uh, you know, that's why it's, that's why it's so much easier for somebody else to see it, right? Even if you're a psychotherapist, counselor, or physician, you're not going to see it because I work with them. They're my clients also, and they can't see it either, even though they have that education, because I think it's just, it's just difficult when it's your own issues. Sometimes you need somebody else to help you untangle that, right? Yeah. So let's say I have a fear of heights and maybe my great-great-grandfather fell off a cliff and broke his leg or something. Mm -hmm. Okay. How do I get over that? You have to figure out where it comes from. Is it, you know, so you look at your history, you know, who fell off a cliff <laughs> and broke the leg, right? That was grandpa. Okay, now you know that you merged with that. But you carry, your subconscious mind does this thing where it merges with your 
uh, parents' experiences and other people's experiences, you repeat, you, your subconscious mind helps them carry that burden. That's how they look at it in ancestral healing. So we don't, we don't take it on because we want to carry the burden. No, we do it out of love for that person. But it doesn't matter if your parent was a loving and kind person or they were not a loving, kind person because when you're an infant and a toddler, you're dependent on that caregiver and you try to do things right and and help that person because you have unconditional love for that caretaker. Without that person, you're not going to live. You're not going to have food. You're not going to have a place to sleep, right? So it's that um, it's that entanglement of uh, merging with things. But sometimes it's hard to figure out where it's coming from unless we, you know, un- untangle it. But you always work with adults. If somebody comes to me and says, you know, my teenager has this problem, it's not the teenager's problem, it's the adult's problem. So you work with the mom and the dad to try and figure out where that is coming from. Why is this child having OCD? Why is this child having issues or or, uh, being afraid of certain things? Well, it's coming from somewhere. Everything comes from somewhere. It's all energy in the end. All right, we need to wrap up. Give me one last thought for everybody. And it can be on this topic or back to the NDEs anything that you've learned that can really give somebody hope today? I would say, you know, we we are all one. We are all connected. It's one human race. We are part of the earth. We are not living on the earth. We are part of, of the in this entire magnificent creation. So we are all one and we're all connected and it's all divine. And so is every listener that's listening to this show today. Thank you very much, Dr. Lottie. Appreciate you being with us. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for listening and sharing this podcast. Don't forget to hit the follow or subscribe button and sign up for our newsletter at roundtripdeath.com. If you want to share your near-death experience, or if you have questions or comments about the show, send an email to eric at roundtripdeath.com. Until then, I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next. Music